here. So often, and so much of this is so practical. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said to him, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Father, this morning, as we settle our hearts before you, God, we want to hear your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. We need the word of God to come alive to us and breathe and live, that he might impact us that he might teach us, that Jesus might accomplish his purposes in our lives today, that we would understand so much more and yet be so much more in love with Jesus when we walk out than when we first walked in. So God, please bless our study here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The, the title of my message this morning is Using the Word to Win. Because we all like to win, right? Okay, so I guess we have a lot of losers here. Hey, we all like to win, right? Okay, these guys kind of do. One more time. So everyone likes to win, right? Thank you. We should. Team, we're in a battle. And our weapons are knowing the Word of God and then speaking or praying or using the Word of God. And we got to discover, remind ourselves, relearn how to use the Word to win. First word, chapter 4, verse 1, then. What does that tell us? Well, we went swimming over here, then we went to Rudy's for lunch. See, we were somewhere, then we went someplace else. So this word, this word went then causes us to look back and see what just happened. So often the chapter numbers go, well, you know, new chapter. New. No, no, no. Take those chapter numbers out there, never there in the original letter. I doubt if any, has anyone ever wrote a letter to some friend and put chapter one, verse one, verse two? For, hey, did you see verse five? Man, that was really, well, that was impacting. No, those were put in. We're thankful they were put in. But as we look back, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. We, we hear the Father declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is happening at Jesus' baptism. So again, if you haven't been baptized, I don't understand why not. Jesus was. I mean, Jesus had this awesome baptism experience. Then, that's what it says, verse 1, first word. So the next step for Jesus coming on the scene, it's not what you and I would think. And so we quickly realize that Jesus not, did not come to this earth to accomplish his own plans, but he came to accomplish his father's plans. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So immediately after this great scene of the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, the Father displaying and declaring his pleasure for his son, do you see what happens here? The battle begins. Before you and I were followers of Jesus, we had no real battles we faced. Maybe we were negligent in our job and we got fired, but I mean, there was no, we were no threat to the devil's kingdom before Jesus Christ became the Lord of our life. I mean, we were hellbound with him. We were doing what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it. No one controlled us but ourselves. But when we turned to Jesus and he became the Lord of our lives, we instantly became a threat to the devil's kingdom. Now, please notice Who's leading and who's tempting in verse 1? This is very important. So who's the leading role here? Who has that leading role here? Who, what does it say? How does it read in your Bible? The Holy Spirit does. I mean, that is critical that we are led by him on a daily basis, team. And who has the tempting role? Say it like you mean it. Devil does. Has anything changed today in our age? No. Back row, back rows, come on, enlighten me. Has anything changed today in our age? Nothing has. The game plan that we see right here is the same today, so we've got to learn this game plan and we've got to use it. It's critical. The respective jobs are still the same today. The Holy Spirit desires to lead us, and the devil and his demons want to tempt us and lead us away from God. That's his plan. Lead us away from God, away from God's word, away from God's people. That's the devil's plan. You know those voices we all hear? If it's leading you away from God, away from God's people, away from, yeah, just go fishing today. You can skip today. That ain't God. Can you go fishing? Yeah, go fishing. But you need this is not God. Because the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling. The Holy Spirit is leading, and the devil and his de- demons are tempting. This is very critical for us here. Please notice that even as you're led by the Holy Spirit, the opportunity to be tempted by the devil is very real and present. Can you see that? I mean, Jesus is walking right where he needs to be. It says right there he's being led, and he's walking right where he needs to be, and yet he's tempted. So let me ask you, is temptation sin? Say it like you mean it. It's not. Temptation is a part of our Christian walk today, and it is everywhere. Malls, theaters, movies, TV, social media, walking down the street. It doesn't matter where. It's everywhere. So what do we do with the with the temptation defines who or what we're living for. Because temptation is going to happen. See, if we're living for Jesus, we deal with it like Jesus does in our passage. But if we're living for ourselves, and we can real easily today, we're going to be tempted by it. So team, we want to learn here. The lessons we can learn from Jesus in this passage could literally save our lives. Please observe and learn how Jesus chose to deal with temptation and know that his word will work for you as well. So, okay, but then why did Jesus have to be be tempted? Simple answer, Hebrews chapter 4. 
The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all things as you and I can be, yet without sin. Why? So he can sympathize with you and I when we blow it. So Jesus is going to be tempted here so he can sympathize with you and me when we blow it. He's not up there going, oh man, I can't believe they just did that. No, he wants to sympathize with you. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, 16. You should read it if the enemy lies to you that way. So we got a good model here to look at today in dealing with temptation and not allowing it to become sin in our lives if we're found to be doers of the word here and not hearers only. So when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Ask yourself, self? Why does God include these words? Afterwards, he was hungry. Well, the interpretation of verse 2 is, is at, the, is at the end of some period of time, Jesus now wanted food. He needed food because he was hungry. And I want you to notice, it's really important. The devil has waited for the weakest moment of Jesus' life to come and test him. Sure, he's going to be in the garden, and you know that may be one of his weakest moments, where he's sweating as it was, great drops of blood, but the angels are there ministering to him. But it's quite possible this is the weakest moment of Jesus' life. And we got to learn this, team. The de devil and his demons are always around. But many times, they're going to come at your weakest moments or your greatest victories if you leave yourself unguarded. When my son died, the devil threw out the most horatious lies that I had ever heard in my life. Because that's when he wants to come, at our weakest moments. Of course, he'll come anytime. But he always wants to take you and I down. That's what we want to learn here. Look at verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, okay, we also want to learn this. The tempter came to Jesus. Jesus did not go to him. Jesus is walking in the Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, and the tempter came to him. Now, we can, without any real effort, go looking for temptation. That's not complicated today. But if we wake up each day denying ourselves, pick up our cross daily, seeking to follow Jesus the best way we can, the tempter and his friends are going to have to come to us. And they do so today in our world in many different shapes and sizes, some with a heartbeat and some without. You see, the devil and his demons, they study you. They study me. They're studying Jesus. And that's why it says they came at, to Jesus at his weakest moment when he was hungry. Uh, you, know, the, you know, plus, okay, maybe you don't know this, but you know, this isn't like a word-for-word -word script here. You know, the Apostle John at the end of his writing in the Gospel of John wrote, if all the things that Jesus said and did were written down, the books of the world would not contain them. So this is just like an outline. So they're steady and they've been watching Jesus. Maybe a stomach growled. It hasn't growled for 38 days or something. I don't know. But they know this is the time to hit. The devil knows it's now. Hit him now. But see, they watch you and me too. Oh, did you see how he walked? Oh, did hey, write that down. See, the devil can only be in one place at a time. The demons can only be in one place at a time. 
And how many are there? I have no idea. It says a third of the angels fell. How many did God create? Millions, billions? I have no idea. But they can only be in one place at a time. And I guarantee you, they are watching how you interact with certain things. Oh, did you see how they stared at that maple donut right there? Okay. <laughs> whatever, or the clothes, or whatever, or the girl, or the guy, or whatever. Oh, look it, they want to, yeah. And they watch us. They're watching us. They are. They're watching us right now. You know, all across the, the church today, people are sitting on their cell phones texting. They're watching. They're going, oh, look. Hey, get this guy, this pagan guy, to send him a text right now. It's not complicated. That's how they work. So we've got to learn here. Now, when, not if, this class is going to happen. You've got to take this class. It's not a correspondence class. It's required. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God. See, what the devil is doing here with this statement of, if you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, to me, I don't see the controversy. I think they both work. It's like, hey, you know, since you're this God man, hey, take care of yourself, man. If this is who you say you are, well then, hey, show off a little bit. Meet your physical need of hunger. I mean, after all, if you don't take care of yourself out here in the wilderness, who will? And if you do take care of yourself out here in the wilderness, no one will know. And that's the greatest lie. On vacation, foreign place, hey, no one's going to know. Oh, no, Jesus knows. He always knows. If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Man, there's a lot of things going on here. If you're hungry, take care of number one. Isn't that the greatest lie of the planet today? And the Bible says in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. Hey, if you're hungry, take care of yourself first. Lust after some earthly food. Feed your flesh, Jesus. You deserve it. That's what's happening here. Now, please, let's pause for one moment. Go to 1 John chapter 2, all the way at the end of your Bible, not the Gospel of John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. Now, keep in mind, this was, has not been written yet, but Jesus, who is the Word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, he knows this. 1st John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. That's what the devil is tempting Jesus with, the lust of the flesh. Man, you're starving, dude. Tell those rocks to become some nice, hot, fresh, baked wonder bread. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Please notice, it's not of the Father. It's of this world that's going to be destroyed. So we can see what the devil is doing here and challenging Jesus to turn all these rocks into bread. The devil is questioning the father's provision for his son. Hey, you've been out here 40 days. Man, it's obvious. You're being led by the Holy Spirit. It's obvious your dad doesn't care about you. If he did, he would take care of you. So hey, just go ahead and make life better and make some bread. Or better lies father cared about you, he'd never let you be in this place in the first place. And we sit there and go, yeah, God! I don't understand. I understand why the world it gets mad at God, but I don't understand why 
the Christian that's truly born again. Now, I understand there's Christians that aren't going to heaven because they're unsaved. But a Christian that's born again, I don't understand how we can get mad at God. See, too many Christians bite on that lie. Man, if God really loved you, he never, never would have let this happen to you in the first place. How can we get mad at the one who sent his only son to die in our place to prove to us how much he loves us? Those are lies, team. You tell me that your faithful father will provide? Doesn't seem like he's very faithful right now. Those are all lies from the pit. If you don't take care of number one and take care of yourself, who will? Those are all lies. But this is the devil's plan of attack on Jesus and us, team, so now we know. So let's use what we know against him. And like I said from the beginning, the model that Jesus gives us with dealing with temptation is the only one that is tried and true and works. So team, if you have the books, toss them. If you listen to the guys that say do it this way, turn them off. The model is proven, it's perfect, and it's true if you have ears to hear today. Verse 4. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, as he uses the word of God for the first time, if you've read ahead, you know what he's going to do two more times. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As he quotes out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, is that not simple? Is that not straightforward? He's not shouting. He's not jumping up and down. He just uses a single truth of God's word. And this becomes another great reason, team, why we're always encouraging you to read your Bibles at home. You have to have it hidden in your heart so you can use it, team. Please notice what Jesus just taught us here. He's using the word of God as his own personal defense against his own natural feelings of hungriness. There's no doubt in my mind. He's hungry. He feels that. But you and I are not called to live our Christian walk, our spiritual walk, by feelings. If you do, I can guarantee you're getting ripped off every single time. We're called to deny those feelings and live by, the, and, live by and off of the Word of God, being led by the Spirit of God. The feelings that the devil attacks are so real in Jesus' life. Verse 2 told us he was hungry. But Jesus doesn't give in to those feelings. This is important. He fights back with God's truth. Spouses, you're going to give in to those feelings or are you going to fight back with God's truth? Oh, love bears no record of wrongs. Yeah, but Jesus has it recorded. He'll take care of your spouse. Jesus doesn't give in. He fights back with God's word. I, we can all see that. The feelings that Jesus has for food after fasting for 40 days is real, so the devil attacks him at this divine moment. But Jesus doesn't give in to those feelings. But he fights back with God's truth. And please notice the word of God is a death blow to the devil. Now, if the word of God is all sufficient against the devil by Jesus 2,000 years ago, then that same word will work for us every time against his demons today. You just have to use it. Team, this is why we teach it, so you can learn it, recall it, in present temptations, trials, 
and troubles. Yeah, but pastor, he's attacking again in verse 5. Well, no, please understand. Jesus had to be tempted in everything. Because when we get to the third temptation, Jesus says, you got to leave, bye. And he leaves. Jesus could have did that at the first one. And we'll talk about that. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. They say it's about 200 feet tall. And said to him, if or since, again, they both work. If you are the son of God, that's the challenge again. Throw yourself down. For it is what? What does your Bible read? Written as the devil leaves out words, changes the context, and he uses the word of God against the God of the word. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Man, there's many things to learn here. So starting from the outside, again, quite possibly the weakest moment of Jesus' earthly existence is right here after that 40-day fast. But please notice, the devil isn't going to kick back and let up after his first failed temptation. He doesn't quit. He failed, loser, but he keeps attacking. Why? Because this is the weakest moment of Jesus. Him and his demons are always on the attack looking for those that they can chew up and spit out. Jesus said he's a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. And if he doesn't work on the first one, don't get big-headed on, wow, I have victory over that, because he's setting you up for the second one. You, you, apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Please notice the devil is doing by challenging Jesus to throw himself down here. He's offering him the first of two shortcuts to stardom and recognition without a cross, without a resurrection. Hey, just jump up, jump down. Man, you'll get a quick audience. Man, you're just going to float down from that pinnacle. Wow, everybody will see you. Man, they're going to know you're the Messiah. Man, they're going to come and bow at your feet when you survive. That's what he's offering him, shortcut. If someone would have jumped off the top of the World Trade Center as it was collapsing and survived and lived, would they not have an audience today? They would. They'd be like godlike today. How's that possible? Oh, I'm God. Whoa, it has to be. That's what the devil's doing here. Look at 1 John chapter 2 again if you're still there. You see what the devil is tempting Jesus with? The lust of the eyes. First it was the lust of the flesh. Just eat the bread. You'll feel better. Now it's the lust of the eyes. Man, you're going to look so big in your eyes. Oh, man, if I get that, I'm going to look so hot. Get the thing, but your heart's wrong. It can't be about that. It can't be about you. It was, it was about you before you became a believer. It can't be about us anymore. Jesus is now the master of our life. Get the thing as long as your heart's right, but don't get it to look big. That's what's happening here. Jesus, just jump, man. You're going to look great in, in your eyes. Man, people are going to, you're going to have such a large following. Woo, man, your social media, internet. You'll have millions and millions of subscribers. You'll get your own YouTube channel. It's crazy. So what is the devil calling into question about Jesus' father here? With the stones, it was, hey, your dad's not providing for you. Here it is. It's the father's protection of the son. 
Hey, if you're the son of God, then prove it by seeing if your father will protect you. That's what's happening here. Hey, if you're going to live by the word of God, then prove the God of the word, Jesus. That's what he's doing here. Now, we all saw what the devil used in trying to get Jesus to obey him, right? So what does that tell us about the devil? He knows what? What did the devil use against Jesus in the second temptation? The scripture. So what does that tell us about the devil? He knows the Bible. You got to know it to twist it, right? Has he read it? Oh, yeah, I'm sure he has. Does he know how to tweak it and twist it? Oh, yeah, look at the cults today. You know, there's a cult over in the Philippines, and this shocked me. Some of the young people we were ministering to, it's a, a, well, I'm not going to say, because they're probably listening. But they believe they're the true church. Wow, that's, the Mormons believe that too, and the Jehovah Witnesses. I think we should put them all in a ring and let them duke it out. Hey, one of you right. Only can, only can be one of you. They don't believe Jesus is God. Wow, that sounds about right. And they twist the scriptures to their liking. And that's what the devil does here. He twists the scriptures for his benefit. This time, though, he leaves out words. You leave out a word, man, you can change the whole context. And as we view this twisting of scriptures, please understand and know they are more twisted right now in the church age than any other time in your life. They are. Church is in big trouble. When you got guys having millions of followers and they are saying things that are absolutely an abomination to God's word, we, we as the church, we're in trouble. See, this is why context, context, context is so critical. Just because some guy says something and appeals to your flesh, you better open your Bible and you better make sure that's exactly what it says or you're going to be led away. Because people, Christians aren't opening their Bibles no more. Oh, wow, oh, that guy's so charismatic. Yeah, but have you ever checked to see what he's saying is true? Context, context, context is critical. See, without context, you can make Jesus an angel. You can make yourself a god. You can. Without context, you make our mainstream beliefs for the last 2,000 years wrong, and you make the cults of today right. But not just the cults, also those guys in the church today. It's always been. It is accelerating today. One time, Pastor Chuck at a pastor's conference before he went to heaven, he said this about staying true to the scriptures and not worrying about the crowds. This is what he said. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And when he said that, I thought, man, did he just say that? I can't believe he just said that. And my friend sitting next to me turned to Luke 16, he pointed at it. It's in red. Whoa, Jesus said that. He was just repeating the words of Jesus. Context is critical. Critical. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Okay, now, this is an open book test. What does Jesus use to defeat the devil's second temptation? Only a few of you know. Come on. What's Jesus used to defeat the devil the second time? Yeah, I don't care. You can say scriptures, Holy Bible, God's Word, Old Testament. I don't really do it around. You can say whatever you want as long as we know. You see the pattern? It's not coincidental, team. 
If you have something that's working for you, you don't change it. Jesus has used God's authoritative word twice to defeat the devil, which at, at, at his time was just simply the Hebrew Scriptures. You and I, we've got the whole thing. We've got the Hebrew Scriptures, we've got the prophets, and we have the New Testament. Man, we're loaded for bear, man. We've got a ton of ammo. So how can we apply all of this to our lives? Well, first of all, you've got to stand on the Word of God, team. You got to know him. You got to learn him. You, let, you have to allow God to hide Jesus in your heart because he is the living word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. And then you have to apply all of him to your life and see if he doesn't work for you every single time. He will because he's God. See, as you allow the only book on the planet that is living and active to be a part of your everyday life, as you allow the word of God to penetrate every aspect of your heart, your mind, and your soul, as you not only stand upon him, but then act and live like what we see Jesus doing here, he will never fail you because his word is God's divine truth for today because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the reason I know is he'll never fail us today is because the Bible tells me. You, you should get out your pen and underline it or highlight it if you don't already know this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul is months away from being beheaded. This is his final words. He writes to young Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God's book. It's not, it's not just some man who decided to write a bunch of stuff. Hey, here, you, hey, Matthew, you write some junk, and Luke, you write some. No, no, no. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's God's heart. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. And we heard his voice. Peter's speaking here. Okay, he's the author, you know, you know, the guy that walked on the water and then sank. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven, when we are with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of, of Scripture is a, of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man. And what you hold is a book of prophecy, by the way. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but you should underline this, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have a divine book with divine words that will heal any marriage, that'll take a drug addict and a crazy man and make him normal, that will take an extremely religious, self-righteous person and cause them to be humble. See, God used and moved through and worked in holy men to declare his divine directions for life so that you and I would know how to live life to the fullest, team. See, our record for the Bible being the divine word of God is the Bible itself because God has preserved it. Remember Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Man, it's tried over the last 2,000 years to destroy it or even longer. Do you realize that the New Testament is written about between A.D. 40 and A.D. 100 and the earliest copies that we have 
because there are no originals. The earliest copies we have are 125 AD. So from the last time there was, something was written to the time they all started collecting was about 25 years. And how many manuscripts do, do we have? 24,000 partials. 120 or 125, I can't remember the number, complete ones. Well, that's a lot of evidence. Yeah, it's a lot of evidence. When someone says to you, I have a hard time believing the Bible, then you can confidently say to that skeptic, you have a hard time believing George Washington was the first president. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. Because scientifically, there's more evidence for the Bible than there is for George Washington. You know, we, we believe things like Aristotle and Plato, and, and yet some of them have less than 100 different documents. Others have less than 10, yet we believe them, never even question. Why is that? What's the devil and his demons? You know how many documents we have for the, ha, that we have that we possess of Socrates or Socrates? You know how many documents we have of him? This is right off, I looked last night, or this morning, sometime. This is right off the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Socrates never wrote anything down. So if you went to school and he was talked about, you're probably being lied to. This is right off their website. It's all secondhand information and it is all vigorously disputed. But people believe him today. Yeah, but with less evidence. Yeah, no evidence. And yet the Bible has greater evidence, like thousands more. I mean, you can put the Bible through a history test if you want. After all, it is a matter of his story and how accurate is his story. Very accurate. When the Bible tells you that Jacob's well is between this city and this city, and you go over there and dig between this city and this city, well, guess what? You find it. That's why there's so many archaeological digs going on over in Israel right now, because they have an accurate, reliable record with recent data called the Holy Scriptures, and they know right where to dig. Our record for the Bible being the divine word of God is the Bible itself. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, if you're a science person or if you're teaching your kids about creation, you should know this. This holy man is writing as, as a holy God is moving upon his heart and mind. This is what he says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2. Just past Psalms, Proverbs, and Solomon's stuff right there. For God sits above the circle of the earth. Wow. Now, when did we find out about the circle of the earth? Well, remember the catchy song about Columbus? Columbus? He sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Yeah, but he thought it was flat. You see, we didn't know the earth was round until Columbus. So how did Isaiah know 700 B.C., you know, like 2,100 years before Columbus figured it out? How did we know that the earth was round? It's a no-brainer answer. If you need help with that, ask the person beside you. Hey, how did we know that the earth was round? I'm pretty sure they'll help you out. We have a definite document, a reliable record that is absolutely absolutely accurate and is extremely user-friendly. And you know what? It's able to defeat the devil and his demons whenever you use it. If you allow Jesus to govern your life, you will never be disappointed, ever.
Back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to, them, said to Jesus, all these things I will give you. Please notice that. The devil's given Jesus the world. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. First off, notice Jesus doesn't dispute that. What are you talking about, you crazy devil? You don't have anything to give me. He doesn't say that. So there's a lot of cool stuff in these two verses. But what's missing, team, that the other two challenges had? Challenge number one, had this. Challenge number two, had this. Challenge three, missing. What's missing? Do you see it? You see it? Observation part of inductive Bible study, observing facts. Here's this fact here. Here's this fact here. Oh, that fact isn't over here. You see it? What is it, Barry? If you, are God. if you are the Son of God. It's missing. So is the devil recognizing defeat? I don't think so. Or is it, how can the devil give away something he doesn't have? And I don't think that's it either. He, he's speaking to his creator. And says, look, creator, I'll, I'll give you all this stuff. Just drop a knee real quick. One little bow and we'll call it good. Well, how did he get it? Well, that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God told man to fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all of it, including the things that fly in the skies. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in chapter 3 and ate of the fruit, the title deed to the contents of the earth was passed from man to the devil himself. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, there aren't good people, but for sake of an argument, why do bad things happen to good people? Because Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered the world. Death and destruction came. It was never supposed to be that way. That's why it's so hard for you and I to deal with death because we are never originally designed to die or to deal with death. We're designed to live forever. So what, is, so what the devil is offering Jesus here, it's actually another shortcut or an easy way out without the cross. Jesus, just bow down. I'll, I'll give you everything you came for. Oh yeah, minus our souls. The devil is offering Jesus a way around the cross instead of through it. Jesus, you don't need to deny yourself. You don't need to offer up your life. After all, you're the king, man. You're the creator of the universe. I recognize that. Just one little quick bow. We'll call it good. But what's wrong with that statement is no cross, no appeasing the Father's wrath, and ultimately no crossing back over to the Father in heaven. Because the only, the only righteousness that's accepted in heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's because he took our place and he, pay, pay, he suffered the wrath of Almighty God and he took upon our sin. If, if there was no cross, there'd be no access back into heaven. I mean, see, that's why Christianity is so narrow. It had to be the cross. So if you're ever in a conversation with someone and they go, well, you know, I just believe I'm getting into heaven by good works. All the religions believe in Jesus some way, shape, or form. Say, then why did Jesus have to die? And don't move off the question. They can't answer it. He had to die because all of mankind has a sin issue and only through Jesus Christ is that sin issue taken away. It had to be the cross. It had to be a perfect man that would suffer the wrath of Almighty God and die for the sins 
of the world. This is all God himself, the sinless perfect man who gave up his life on the cross. There was no way he could take a shortcut. That's why we read in John chapter 3, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with worship. They take it out of context. When he is lifted up on the cross, all of mankind will be drawn to him. Or at least have the opportunity to come to him for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... I don't know where you are today. If, you're, if, you don't, if you've never turned to Jesus, taken yourself off as the master of your life, you may have prayed some prayer, but you, you don't have a relationship with him because he has to be the Lord of your life. The word believe, it's, it carries with it the idea of turning. You're going your way, doing your own thing, that whosoever believes, well, that means you turn to, you take yourself off the throne of your life, Jesus becomes the master of your life. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Romans 10, 9. So the way is made for anybody who'll come. The enemy is tempting the flesh of Jesus with the boastful pride of life by saying, hey, just one little bow and I'll give it all to you. Then everyone will come to you as your master. And you know what? The devil offers you and I that same shortcut today. You don't need to deny yourself. Man, don't be such a fanatic. You don't need to pick up your cross. You did that yesterday. All these things I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me is what the world and the devil declares to you and I today. Just, just compromise a little bit and bow down right here. It'll be okay. No one's going to see. Uh, oh, no, it's going to affect your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, this was the devil's downfall from the beginning. He wanted to be number one. He wanted to be the top dog, the head cheese. His pride took control of him, and he wanted the praise and worship that Almighty God had. And in the process of doing so, he got kicked out of heaven. So please observe for the last time how Jesus defeats this pesty fellow. I hope we already know how he's going to do it. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. It's critical words. You can be as sarcastic as you want right there. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The modern Bruce version here is that Jesus said to him, in the name of Jesus, hit the road, Jack. You know, buzz off, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Boom. Hit the road, long one. Jesus said, you got to go. And I start singing, and he has to go. He leaves every single time. That's what Jesus does. He could have did this in temptation one. Jesus tells him, look, you got to go. Away with you. That's what Jesus said, away with you. You can be, um, trust me, you can be as sarcastic as you want. Hey, Jesus said, buzz off, he leaves. Now, I don't know if it makes him mad, and I'm sure it's not the devil, I'm sure it's his demons trying to tempt us to do something stupid. But he leaves. And then I start singing, I love you, Lord. And he's gone. My go-to song, we're sin. <laughs> the devil has to go. But you know what? He'll be back. He always comes back. It is written three times in our text today, but do you believe it to the extent that now you will use it? The evidence is overwhelming, team. There is nothing like the Word of God, our Holy Bible, on the face of the universe. The facts, the figures, the final outcome, all kept and preserved by Jesus himself. So ask yourself, Christian, are you tired of doing it your way? Get ready to butt heads? Oh, nope, not going there. Take the low road. Jesus says he'll exalt the low road. 
because you're going to now live off the word of God. He's shown us a better, simpler way. Are you worn out by using the devil's shortcuts? You're tired of avoiding the cross? Man, if I take that way, I've got to deny myself. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. <coughs> got to go through the cross. You know what? You'll have peace in your home, peace in your life. Quit fighting and start loving. That's what Jesus did. If you're tired of avoiding the cross and give up, give in, surrender, cave in, deny yourself, admit defeat, swallow your pride, lay down your arms, let go and let God do it His way every day. That's what He wants to do in our lives. Can you see what's available to you if you'll do what this, the Jesus way? It's right here, verse 11. is our visual promise here. Then the devil left him. It doesn't get any better than that. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I mean, who doesn't want that? I do. He, Hebrews chapter 1, it's for, verse 13 and 14, that there are angels sent out to minister to you and I who will inherit salvation. I want those angels to minister to me. Team, the temptations are going to come every single day of your life. But it's how do you respond is the question. You can respond in the flesh or you can respond by the power of the Spirit and, and of the written Word of God. Two options. You, you, you do know if you flunk the temptation test that comes along today, God will allow it and bring it along again tomorrow. It's going to happen. I, 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 trust me, I know all that from experience. The, the temptation test is not like my math teacher when I was a sophomore. I had a 60 or a 59. Back then, 60 was an F. I had a 59. He passed me so just to get rid of me. Hey, listen, if you flunk the temptation test, you're going to get it again and again and again until you use the Jesus method. We've got to pass the test in order to stay in the game and then move on and take our next step. See, if you don't give in to temptation, but stand upon the word of God, then you got to know that the devil will leave you as you hold on to what is written, and God's holy angels will come and minister to you. And you know, that's a promise we can go to the bank on, because it's contained in God's word. Father, we're thankful for all that you've done, desire to do, or accomplishing, and